Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Because it's a dog's life with pet and cannabis expert Angela Ardolino. Learn the best holistic practices from top pet industry professionals and listen in on why CBD might be a whole different animal for your best in show buddy. Here's your new best friend about pets, Angela Ardolino. Hey there, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I'm here today with uh, Dio Wynn, Dr. Wynn. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is fun. You bet. I can't wait to talk to you about everything I've read about you and find out so much more about you. Where are you calling us from today? I'm at home in Tempe, Arizona at the moment. Very nice. How's the weather? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's just switched into the really enviable time of year. It's lovely being here. From now until May is really delightful. Oh, great. I live in Tampa. (laughs) I'm in New York City right now, but I live in Tampa. Uh, It's the same way. October and November and December are great, but then January and February are not cold. Right, 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 right. Well, I used to live in Gainesville, Florida. so so you know. I know it's a it's a it's a bit different, of course, because you're on the coast, which gives you advantages. But it's the same sort of thing. The humidity, whereas here, of course, in Arizona, it's always bone dry. Right. I know my hair looks great when I go out there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had some hair to make some comment about. <laughs> okay, so tell me, what is a behavioral scientist? Um, and you do you specialize in dogs or animals altogether? Explain that to me. Well, sure, of course, Angela. So, I mean, a behavioral scientist is any scientist who takes an interest in behavior, and they're a behavioral psych- scientist in psychology, you know, behaviorist psychologists, and they're a behavioral scientist in biology too, you know, behavioral biologists. Uh, historically, those were competing viewpoints, but I think nowadays most people who care recognize that there are valid insights on on both sides of that. And, you know, these people uh, can study can study human beings. You know, we have a master's degree in applied behavior analysis, which is all about helping people who have behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. And then there are folk like me who, 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 I don't want to say I'm not interested in human beings. I am oh, I know. I get blamed for that. But also. I'm not professionally, I'm <laughs> not so professionally interested in human beings. My fascination has always been the minds of animals. And the only way the minds of animals reveal themselves to us is through their behavior. So, right. so that, that's what I study. And there are, there are many like me. I have colleagues and friends over here at Arizona State University. We have a big center of the world's experts in ants and bees who oh, have baby. fascinating behavior. Uh, and yeah, and me, I'm, I'm the dog behavioral psychologist. There are, I don't know, Ooh, so you got the <laughs> 10 best or 20 job. of us in the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I literally cuddle puppies for a living. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, these are the types of things that nobody told me in high school and college that I could do. So, you know, when I find all these cool jobs now, I'm like, what? Well, I think to some degree, Angela, these uh, cuddling puppies as a profession, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how old you are, but it may not have existed. What I do really, uh, you know, scientists have been, behavioral scientists have been aware of dogs since the beginning of behavioral science of course they have you know right. does, does the name does the name pavlov ring a bell you know yes, so course. so um so so there has been some awareness but by the middle of the 20th century pavlov's tradition had sort of died out right. and so in the second half of the 20th century uh which is certainly when i was in school um there wasn't a lot going on with dogs there wasn't nothing but there wasn't a lot 
And then at the very, very end, the very last years of the 20th century, a couple of people started saying, well, you know what? Dogs are actually really, really interesting. And, and there's no reason why we can't bring the tools of behavioral science and shine those lights on the behavior of our best friends. I know. And, uh, and so that started up with Brian Hare, who's now a Duke, and Adam McClosey, who's in Budapest, Hungary, and, uh, and other people, including myself. I started studying dogs the middle of the 2000s, roughly speaking. So, you know, something like 15 years ago now. Um, and yeah, so, so I've never looked back. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely wonderful to be able to take my professional skills that I've developed over many years and bring them around to look at animals that, uh, that I have this immense, powerful emotional connection to. I mean, it's, you can't believe how those, or maybe you can, because I know you work with dogs and love dogs too. I mean, it's just unbelievable to be able to combine a passion that's very deep in yourself with your professional life. I mean, that's really the best you could ever ask for. It is. And I preach it every day. And I do uh, absolutely love what I do. One of the things I always say when I'm speaking is that I took my two passions, cannabis and dogs, and combined them into the best career ever. So I can't even imagine being happier. Maybe when I get around to writing a book, which I think is Mm -hmm. an unbelievable, unbelievable endeavor to do. Right. But um, I love what you do. Tell me about this, the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State. Sure. So that's that's the group that I started here when I moved to Arizona State University about six and a half years ago now. And we study all aspects of the human-dog relationship. I mean, there's, there's hardly anything about how dogs and people live and and thrive together that isn't fascinating mm-hmm. uh we tend to put we tend to in terms of hours of effort we try and focus our efforts where we can do the most good so we probably spend three quarters of our time if not more working with dogs in shelters and dogs who get into difficulties in other ways right. and especially the shelter world that world of you know maybe still four million if there are 80 million dogs in the united states there could be something like four million of them sleeping in a shelter tonight oh, yeah. so that's uh, what is that that's like five percent that's a big fraction of the total mm-hmm. dog population who are not, you know, like my dog, and I'm sure your dogs, you know, sleeping on the bed tonight and, right. and getting some good food and going out. I have to be careful because she can hear me going out with WALKs. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's the, there's there's the good life, and then there's the the life of dogs who've landed in difficulties through no fault of their own, and so we put a great deal of our energy into trying to trying to help those poor pooches because they're the ones that really really need our help. Right. I mean, that that said, I, there's nothing, there's hardly anything people can tell me about dogs that doesn't fascinate me. And we also are very involved in the book, Dog is Love, is primarily focused on getting at a very basic question, which is the question of what makes dogs so special? What is the source, the ultimate source of the uniqueness of dogs? Because dogs are special and they are unique, but it hasn't been an easy uh, journey to figure out exactly where the uniqueness of dogs lies. And so that's the that's the focus of my book. And that probably in terms of the efforts of the group, that might be say twenty percent of our time is on those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Which are which are questions of 
of of deep interest, I think, to to people who love dogs. You know, the question of whether your dog really loves you back. I mean, a lot of people look at their dog and and ask themselves that question. Uh, and ultimately, these you know basic questions are practical questions too, because if we understand the true nature of our dogs, then we will understand better how to give them the best life, which I know we all want to do. I remember watching a documentary, gosh, I want to say probably 15 years ago, maybe even longer, and it was basically about the evolution of the dog and how they basically have evolved to serve us and truly be our best friend. And I totally can tell that. And each of my dogs, I have seven, and then I usually have about, you know, five fosters or rescues or borders or anything else. You're right, right. But I can tell how they all individually show me love. And then I think what, yeah. is, what is the most um, amazing is that and why we are so attracted to it is because it truly is unconditional love. Right, right. So I think our dogs definitely are looking to us. I mean, this this idea of dominance has been terribly misunderstood mm-hmm. in the in the wider media. But but really, when a behavioral biologist talks about dominance in a in the technical way that they use the term, they're they're talking about leadership, and it is absolutely and completely the case that our dogs love us and look to, look up to us and are seeking for us to provide them with guidance and gentle leadership, not not vicious dominance in that sense, not jerking the leash and shock collars and right. prong collars and or you know and kicking and all these horrible things. No, but they are looking to us. They are they do look up to us and they are looking to us for guidance and for direction. And uh, and that is part of how dogs love us, that they're that they're seeking us to provide them with reassurance and and support and stability in their lives that's that's what dog love uh that's the form that dog love takes that they that they they need us to provide that stability and um and guidance for them yes absolutely yeah and the and the dedication is unbelievable like i remember um when i was raising nina who's my doberman who's seven now um you know i have a farm so she would be on the back porch on the screen and I too, you know, I'd have two of my two, three of my male ducks running and jumping on the female duck. So she'd see me come out of the house, go running out the screen door, chase them off or whatever. I didn't teach her that. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't right. Know. Yeah. She yeah. Watched, and she does that now. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. you know, just like going, this is what I know mom wants. She also does it with every dog. You know, there's so many dogs coming in and out of my house. And she corrects her sister, who she thinks is not going to behave when another dog comes and comes oh, really? the house or whatever. And she doesn't like her, you know, I, I guess, mood or energy that she's uh-huh. giving off. And sure enough, uh-huh. you know, Jolene's got all her hair standing up. And Nina will take her down. Oh, my like, goodness. Because she knows it's, it's just like I have an assistant. It's really incredible. Uh And then like Uh when I watch them teach other dogs, this is the routine. This is the doggy door. This is Uh speech. This is how you swim. I mean, it's hilarious. And (laughs) it really is like she is my assistant manager and, you know, has got it all down. And when I don't involve her, she is not happy about it. Like if she gets shut in the dog room and doesn't get to meet 
whoever's coming to the door. She's not happy uh-huh. about it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. But they that's really fantastic. Are. I mean, just when I realized every anytime she did something that I didn't like, I would look back at why she was doing, why could she possibly be doing that? And I'm like, she's uh-huh. not chasing the duck. She's doing what she saw me do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Out, oh, that's so. great. That's wonderful. What are some of the crazy, wonderful things you've seen in your stud research of um, dogs' behavior? So, so I so many things, but um, uh, but specifically on the on the topic of of love, we've been interested to see because some people think that their dogs only love them because they feed them that they <laughs> that it's just it's just what my mother would call cupboard love you know uh-huh. that there's that there's no deep there's no deeper bond there it's just well you know this is the person that gives me some my treats i should probably pay attention to them <laughs> but there have been there have been some really interesting studies that show that dog love is much much deeper than that oh, yeah. and so we did a, a very simple experiment where we had people uh, unfortunately, we were easily able to find people who were out at work all day and just left their dog home alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we set up a very simple test in in the person's garage, you know, a garage that's directly connected to the house, so that there's a door between the garage and the house, which is where the dog usually the dog usually sees the person appear at this right. door between the garage and the house. And we set up a very simple test where we. We put two dots on the floor and we made sure that the two dots were at equal distance from the doorway and were at equal angles to the door when you opened the door. So you would see them equally easily, mm-hmm. these two locations. And on one dot, we put a bowl of dog food and we made sure that the dog had no food while the owner was out during the day. Mm-hmm. And on the other dot, we put the owner. So now we have a very fair, simple comparison. Does the dog prefer after eight hours without food and eight hours without, the, without their human, which does the dog prefer? And what we find is time and again that actually the dogs, even though they must be hungry by now, they always go to their human first. They're always most interested in interacting with their human. That's more important to them than picking up the food. So um, so it's not covered love. It's not covered love. It really is love. Right. And um, that's one of many quite simple tests like that 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 we've done. Other scientists – have taken a very simple test that's used on small children, on infants. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens is the mother and infant come into a new room together. Uh, the child is perfectly happy in this unfamiliar room so long as the mother stays close. But if the mother suddenly leaves, then the infant becomes very distressed. Mm-hmm. And then the mother comes back and the infant is happy. And so measuring the infant's distress to be left alone and happiness to be reunited. This provides a very simple way that psychologists use to measure the strength of the bond between a small child and his or her mother. Mm -hmm. And you usually find that the child is what they call securely attached. That's the term they use for for the normal kind of strong relationship that an infant has to her mother. Well, other scientists have taken this test and actually tried it on dogs. And so they do the exact same thing on dogs. They have the dog come in with the dog's, you know, pup parent or whatever phrase you prefer, the person who's the key person in that dog's life. And again, you leave the dog alone for a bit and you see how the dog is distressed. And then the person comes back in and you see how the animal cheers up. And what you find is that the results are very, very similar to what you see between mothers and their infants. That right. the same kind of secure attachment shows up there. And there's no food in that in that story. That's just right. a story about 
being with your person or being separated from your person and just seeing how the separation causes distress and the reunion causes happiness. And, and you, if you code it, you know, these human psychologists have specific ways that they say, you know, if the, if the individual cries, then that means this and so on. You code it just the same way with the dog as you would with a child and you get just the same pattern of results that the, that the dog is just as securely connected to their human as a small child is to her mother. Absolutely. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's gonna make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. So you said you worked a lot with shelter dogs. What kind yeah. of, like, I, you know, I've had both sides of shelter dogs where, um, you know, a lot of work. And then I've had others that are so grateful. <laughs> I could tell they're Hello, great. cool. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, and then I've had others who are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> What kind oh, they're of... all there oh, because yeah. they all they all have very different backstories. I mean, right. we more or less gave up trying to find out what the backstories of the dogs right. we I were working know. with were because because oftentimes there's no record, or when there is a record, there are grounds to think it might not be an entirely frank and honest record. Right. So we just gave up. But it's undeniably the case that there are dogs who who have come from horrible abuse, dogs who've been left out on the streets. Through to dogs who actually have perfectly good lives most of their time with their human, but then their human passed on or some right. other unavoidable tragedy hit and there was really just no alternative. And with a bit of luck, they don't spend very long in the shelter and they're moved on quickly and they pick back up and create a new loving relationship with a new human family. Um, so, so there are all sorts of things and those lead to all sorts of different patterns of outcomes. 
what we started out being very interested in, Angela, was um, when somebody comes to the shelter and they think they might be looking for a dog, what is it that actually, what behaviors on that dog's part? What is the dog, what things that the dog does are likely to lead a person to want to adopt the dog? And what kinds of things that the dog does are going to turn visitors off? Right. And so we did something that was conceptually very simple. We just went around the shelter with a video camera. We know that people don't usually stand and look at a dog in a kennel for more than 60 seconds. So we just made 60 second videos. What does this dog do when somebody walks up to its kennel? And then we, we went home and we looked at these videos and we made and made notes of everything the dog did, everything, whether the dog barked, sat, wagged its tail, came to the front, jumped up, went to the back, sat down, everything the dog did. Mm -hmm. And then we looked at the shelter records a few months later and we looked to see which dogs got adopted quickly and which dogs sat in their kennels for months mm -hmm. on end. So that now we know the outcomes and we know what kinds of things the dogs do. And so we're actually able to map one onto the other and see what kinds of things are a good idea for a dog to do when somebody comes to visit, what kinds of activities on the dog's part are likely to inspire somebody to want to take that dog home and what kinds of things that a dog might do are a total turn off. And uh, we did that with the dogs in the kennels. And we also did that when people took the dogs out and played with them for a bit to see uh, what kinds of response to humans uh, are likely to lead to successful adoption. And so we actually know with, with, a, with a level of security that hadn't been available before, we know what a dog should do to get adopted. And, uh, and with that knowledge, we then went back to the shelter and started investigating how can we easily and inexpensively change the behavior of the dogs in the direction that will get them more readily adopted. Now, if we, if we don't say easily and inexpensively, then it's all too easy to come up with solutions that sure, there are some wealthy animal shelters out there. I've visited animal shelters that are completely luxurious and that if it weren't for the catering, I would happily sleep in myself. <laughs> but, but, you know, most dogs are in relatively impoverished shelters where there's no spare money to bring in some kind of an expert with a really great bag of tricks. Uh -huh, I have CBD oil. Okay, so okay. If you were to, if you were to tell me that the dogs that are not coming to the front are probably scared or anxious or some sort of fear-based behavior. Would you agree to that? What do, what do you mean would I agree to it? That the dogs that didn't come up to the front, that that's probably yeah. why they didn't come to the front. So if we, yeah. if we were to give the shelter CBD oil and get relieve them of that anxiety and stress and see if they come up, to the to meet the human again. Interesting, interesting. I don't know anything at all about CBD oil. I'm, uh, are there studies on it? I'm not aware of of any. Cool. Well, yeah, that's that. You know, these are the things that I love about medical uh -huh. cannabis medicine. Is you know, one of the good things is I own a grooming boarding shop, also retail shop. So I'm watching uh -huh. watch people who bring their dogs in who are just freaking out because they're scared or they had a bad experience at another groomer and the, the parents are handing me um, a Xanax or a Valium uh -huh, to uh -huh. give their dog uh -huh. or they've given it to them before they brought it and the dog is a limp noodle. You can't groom uh -huh. a dog that can't even stand <laughs> up. So right. I just started saying we, I don't 
we don't take dogs like that anymore. I'm happy uh-huh. to offer you an all natural um, product that will keep them calm and will not freak them out. And basically that's how I started. I couldn't find, uh-huh. I couldn't find anything for my dogs. I have a um, certificate from the University of Vermont School of Medicine and um, medical cannabis uh, biology uh-huh. and therapeutic use. So I, when the, medicine changed my life. I went and got that certificate and found out animals had the same system as us. And I immediately Mm -hmm. tried to find a pet product, couldn't find one. So created one, but literally I would created the tinctures for everything I saw coming in to my shop or coming, you know, in from rescues. Um, Of course, one of the biggest things that I see is exactly what you said, the senior dogs, that if they had Mm -hmm. a senior human that is now, you know, going to a home or hospice or passes away the family nine times out of ten doesn't take the dog and then the dog's Mm -hmm. usually a senior and has all kinds of problems so i get those also but the biggest reason is nobody wants to watch their dog suffer and they can't afford it yeah you know because they're given every type of medication and then the vet bills when there's one you know, when medical cannabis can solve most of the joint issues and problems and weird little tumors that pop up. And so it is a, you know, I would love to be able to, that we, to see that we could get to a day where um, we could give dogs something that is not expensive and that is all natural and will help them keep them calm and happy while they're in that situation. Cause it's got to be frightening. Interesting. Day, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can collaborate and we'll do something. We'll do a study. <laughs> That'd be a great idea. Sure. I'm up for that. That's awesome. Well, let me check in here. I think we're going to need to go on a commercial break. So if you hold on just a second and we'll come back. Okay. In a okay. I'll refill my water glass. <laughs> okay, good. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. You got me again. All right. You got me again. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. Ah! Hey, we did it. We did it. Welcome. I have the coolest guest today. You guys already know. The one and only Tommy Chong. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential. 
Oh, Lady Marijuana Lama, tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, Wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. All right, we're back now. I want to know what inspired you to write this beautiful book. Um, I The ending, I think, was my favorite. I just reread it to somebody, and they were like, oh, that is beautiful. I'm like, isn't it? <laughs> um, so tell me, what, what was your inspiration for this? Well, sure. Um, I mean, my own dog, Zephos, was the, was the, is the dog, it's the book's spirit animal, and she truly was the book's inspiration because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd had a, a period of life where I hadn't had a dog international moves and a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at last we got a dog again and this dog came into my life just at a time when I was really puzzling over what it is that makes dogs so uniquely successful mm-hmm. in, in our world today. And, and she explained it to me. I mean, Aww. honestly, honestly, if there's one thing about this dog, I mean, she is just such a bundle of love. She is just so, affectionate that's really you know if you came here angela and you visited with me that's the you know she's not one of those dogs who's particularly smart i'm Mm -hmm. sorry but she's not um but 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 affection she sticks with what what her talents are and does them very well we should all take that lesson (laughs) yeah 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 no i mean she's she's that that's her and so that really changed you know i mean that honestly changed my scientific thinking about dogs because up to that point, a lot of people have been trying to argue that dogs have a special kind of intelligence. And at first, that seemed possible to me, that dogs have a special way of understanding people. But gradually, I came to realize it's not that dogs don't understand people. Dogs do understand people. But it's not actually unique to dogs. It's something special about animals that live in such close proximity with people. Mm-hmm. So you can take almost any animal. I mean, it's more difficult to tame other species, of course. Wild animals are very difficult to tame, but it can be done. And people who live with wild animals and have tamed them can reach something like the same level of mutual understanding that we have with dogs. So I came to the conclusion that it wasn't a special form of intelligence that made dogs so successful, but their capacity and desire and just success in forming strong emotional bonds in loving people is truly what makes them so remarkable and so successful. Yeah, I know my I have some chickens and definitely have some geese that love me to death. There's no doubt that they do. But yeah, the I think the step up is how they know when you're not feeling good. 
You're yeah. sick oh, and yeah. they want to be next to you or yeah. bad yeah. mood and they end up on your lap and you're like, oh, you were so good. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just Absolutely. a beautiful thing. Okay, well, it everyone totally needs is. to read this book, especially if you're a dog lover. It is a beautiful book and it really makes you go, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh, good. Um, and I know people can come here. You speak at the Miami Book Fair on November 23rd. So those that are going to that beautiful event, um, they can come see you. You're having a panel with other um, authors. That's right. With Mark Goldstein and Susanna Charlson. Uh, they're calling it Our Four-Legged Friends. That's wonderful. And that's 3 p.m. on November 23rd. And where direct our listeners to where they can find out more information about you and read up about you and, of course, get the book. Yeah, of course. So I have a, I have a website, dogislovebook.com, dogislovebook.com. Perfect. I love when they're easy to remember. Yes. Well, thank you so <laughs> much for joining us today. And I really appreciate it. I had a wonderful time speaking to you. Me too, Angela. It was great fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You bet. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.